Welcome to the Driven Woman Podcast, where we're on a mission to empower women with the mindset, tools, and strategies so that they can lead powerfully and authentically in order to make a massive impact on this world. I'm your host, Sophia Bryan. My guest today is someone who I think is truly phenomenal, truly inspirational, and I can't wait for you to hear about her and her journey, a very inspirational journey. Um, When you think about achievement, her name comes to mind for me. Um, So my guest, she is the chairperson of the Commonwealth Students Association, she is a skeletal muscle biologist. What does that mean? <laughs> uh, she, uh, she's been conferred with a PhD in science, and she is currently a lecturer at, in biomedicine at the University of East Anglia in the UK. She's also an associate fellow of the Royal Commonwealth Society, and her leadership and advocacy for children's education has led her to her appointment as a global youth ambassador for the education at their world. So make welcome Dr. Maisha Reza. Hi. Hello. Hi. <laughs> so I told them that you're from Singapore, so I yes. want our listeners to get an idea of, of what your childhood, your background, uh, your life growing up, what was that like? Tell us All a little right. bit about that. Okay, I'm going to start, and if I just you know, go on to get really <laughs> like, emotional and passionate about it, you can always stop me when, I'm, okay. you know, when I've given enough information. But um, I was born in Bangladesh, and that's where my grandparents and my extended family still lives in right now. And um, my parents migrated to Singapore. So, you know, we're like the first generation immigrant family. And they moved to Singapore when I was about four or five years old. Right. So I grew up most of I mean, I only remember mostly about growing up in Singapore and very little about Bangladesh, but we still have very strong connections. Like we go back, um, you know, every year we try to go back um, and visit our family and stuff like that. So all my education from primary school all the way up to my Ph.D., I did everything in Singapore. So I'm actually very you know, privileged and Mm. very proud of that because Singapore has one of the best education systems in the world and that's something that I'm really grateful to my parents for giving me because they they're the ones you know when you move to a completely different country especially from a developing country to something that is so much more fast-paced and Mm -hmm. so different it's that immense hard work that parents that immigrant parents put in the first generation immigrants parents put in to give their children the best possible life and I think um, I had that I, they worked very, very hard and gave me everything that I needed in that sense, whether it's, you know, good education, you know, good nutritious food and everything to make me who I am today. So, you know, education has always been a very integral part of my life. And I think a lot of um, migrant children will feel the same way because they've come from a different country, from a different space to make sure that they can, you know, um, their sacrifices are fruitful they always mm-hmm. push their children to reach 
the best, like reach the highest possible place or, you know, be really excellent. So my mom would always be like, you know, for every national exam, she would say, you're going to be first in Singapore. Mm. And I mean, I never had such ambitions, to be honest, to be first (laughs) in Singapore. I never even aimed for it. But I know she would pray really hard that, you know, I'd be first in Singapore. So that's how highly she saw me and she expected out of me. So pressure was immense. Pressure was immense in terms of um, performing, in terms of education. Pressure was also um, there on behaving in in the socially or culturally correct way. And it was pressurizing all around. But I would say I had um, a really, really enjoyable time because I actually love studying. So Mm, I I don't make a lot of friends when I say this, but (laughs) I really, really enjoyed studying. Like subjects like biology is something, you know, which is why I'm doing biology now. It's something that I was so thrilled by. So I I really loved studying it so much. And then there's other things like physics and math that I was very tormented by, but I still, you know, enjoyed the learning process, the discovery process and finding out how to do it and solving things. So I think education-wise, I had a very um, exciting journey. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why I'm still stuck in the academia, (laughs) because I had a positive experience in that. Have you ever had the experience of failing anything? Um, Failing anything? Right. Okay. So this is this is also not the most popular answer but um rarely I mm-hmm. rarely in terms of academic performance mm-hmm. there was like um very little failure I think failure of expectation is what mm-hmm. I, I you know encountered more than mm-hmm. the actual failing of grades you, right. you understand it's not that I failed the exam in itself but I was expected to get A's mm-hmm. not just A's but A pluses or okay. A stars and if I didn't meet those then it really felt a lot like the end of the world because there's you know I'm the for I'm the I'm the only daughter in my family and I'm the eldest so there is that kind of a trailblazer um you know mm-hmm. you have to hold that standard, the name of the that family you, that standard yeah. yeah and so you know my brother jokingly says you know he t- every time i do really well he's like you know i'm really proud of you but i'm also really stressed by the fact that you're doing well mm. because now i have to i have to like ma- so it's always it's really funny like he'd be he'd be like congratulations mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, in that yeah I, I kind of know what big... you feel because <laughs> yeah, my, my, yeah and my my younger brother we ended up even though we didn't really grow up together uh we were separated young but okay. it, it, it happened that we ended up going to the same high school so we we're three mm-hmm. apart and in his exams, he ended up passing for my high school. And so he kind of went through that where the teachers had a certain expectation of me and then they found out that we're related. And so mm-hmm. there was this added pressure on him. But I was glad right. for, him, for it, but he he wasn't. So Of I course not. Understand, <laughs> I understand the family dynamics of it. Yeah. So, um, one of the interesting things I find is that uh, you're from a society where there is a lot of tradition, uh, mm-hmm. you know, cultural heritage, family heritage is very important. Yes. Did you ever experience that clash between this need for you to be a high achiever, but then there's a realization that you're also a woman? 
And then there are certain expectations that come with being a woman. So did you ever experience a sort of clash where, okay, we want it to be a high achiever, but then you still have to do these female type roles. Was there ever a clash in that regard? I think always, there's Mm. always that clash. Generally, my parents, as I said, my family, I have scientists in my family, I have engineers in my family, I have businesswomen in my family. So women in my family have always been very, very educated Mm -hmm. and in a very high, you know, income level, high status in that sense, however you want to define that. And so that was never a problem. There was an expectation. Me wanting to do a PhD in biology Mm -hmm. was never like a, wow, she's doing something amazing. It has always been like, yeah, of course, great that she's doing it and Mm -hmm. great that she's moving forward. So the expectation of excellence has always been there. Whether you're a boy or a girl, you have to, uh, you know, reach that level. And then comes a time when you're an adult where whether it's like, you know, adult, like, I don't know, what's an adult, different places of adult, this is different. maybe you're 23, 24, in that kind of stage, then the question as to what do you want to do in your future? Um, family becomes a big part where, mm. you know, you have to settle down and have a family in future. Something like that becomes a big clash because parents and, and family want to find you partner they want Mm -hmm. to find you a potential spouse who would be good for you and a lot of times it becomes very difficult because if you're if you have such a global mind if you you know you've traveled and you've gone to different conferences you've met different kinds of people all around the world and you're so um you're always thriving with you know all sorts of people with high caliber and excellence it becomes very difficult for you to just settle for mm-hmm. what, it, you know, what is seemed to be appropriate for you. Exactly. And that becomes very, very complex, whether it's, it's a cultural problem. A lot of it is changing. A lot of people are pushing boundaries in that sense. And it's actually a very heroic act. If I, I mean, if I tell you for everyone who does push that boundary, while there is tremendous encouragement to be excellent, there's also tremendous pressure to, you know, get married and have a family at a certain time by a certain age Mm -hmm. and you know there's so much expectation once you get married from your um in-laws again I wouldn't say I wouldn't say every single person there are lots of exceptions and there are lots of changes happening but it's something that you know I constantly am always battling in that Mm -hmm. sense because Mm -hmm. there is that expectation to um you know, follow cultural norms and follow the tradition, which you would know that while I'm not a rebel or like, you know, wild in the sense that, you know, in the definitions of, I mean, it really depends on what wild is, but I'm, I've always been someone who's always been very, very um, conforming to what my parents have set out for me. And even education, it's something that um, I wanted to become a lawyer instead of that. I became a scientist. And that is something within the scaffold that they've had for me, scaffold of excellence and, and, and something like that. So if I'm trying to go outside of it, it's been, it's been something that has always been a challenge with, mm, with you know, okay. even All if right. my family would be okay with it. I think it's a lot of it is like, the expectation society has on them to maintain it right so they want to create that space where their daughter can do almost whatever she desires but then Mm -hmm. okay what will people say about your family 
Uh, yeah, you know, exactly. Family think? name is a big, big thing. Family name and family honor. And I'm not out there to try and like, you know, shatter this thing in that mm-hmm. sense. But the pressure is not just, I have to say the pressure is not just on me. The pressure is on the family as well. The pressure is on the parents as well. The parents who sacrifice so much to, you know, give you the life, give you this life. So their outlook on life, given their upbringing and given their, you know, strong cultural hold, Mm-hmm. you know, is very different from my outlook of life, how I want a family, how I want children, what my idea of love is, and everything is very different. Yeah. So it becomes like, uh, I've, I've had people, very distant people, not so related to me, um, thankfully, who said, who, and, you know, who've given my mother the advice that don't educate your daughter so much because wow. once you do that, you're going, she's going to have lots of opinion. And when she has lots of opinion, she's not going to listen to you when she needs to listen to you. And Mm. I think that meant in terms of marriage. Right, (laughs) Like she's going to, you know, What would be the ideal spouse for you versus what would be an ideal spouse for them? Right, because an ideal spouse for them, of course, has to be like the ideal son-in-law and the ideal presentable person Mm -hmm. in society, which is something that I really never understood. You know, I didn't understand the whole society and the whole family coming into that relationship. While there is a lot of beauty in the in the family bond and stuff, like I feel a certain aspect should be very independent. Okay. Uh, All right. So this has been really, really interesting uh, Mm -hmm. because I really believe in family and uh, the values of that. And unfortunately, I it's 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 almost as though it's fading in many aspects of Caribbean culture. Right. So I'm one of the main reasons why I wanted to, I I went down that road because I really want persons to recognize that, look, yes, the world has become very dynamic, but family is still important. A good tight knit family structure has produced Mm -hmm. someone like you. And yes, there are some cons that come with that. Like, for example, for me, there's no obligation to marry a certain kind of person. There isn't even mm-hmm. an obligation to get married, <laughs> right? Right. And so I'm my the mindset I have will be changing the trajectory of my family going forward. But mm-hmm. I, I think there's a lot of value in that and it should be appreciated and person shouldn't look down on or see that kind of situation as a shackle, but see more of it as an opportunity to embrace the traditional, but find creative ways of inviting something new. And you're basically on that sort of journey. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's about a balance, you know. Don't get me wrong, family is like my life. Family Mm -hmm. is very, very important. It is, you know, if family is broken, then Mm -hmm. your career and everything else that comes along Mm -hmm. with it kind of builds on your family. So for me, if love and family and my, you know, inner peace is not there, then lecture here, scientists there, everything's just gone. So Mm -hmm. I need to have a very strong, you know, bonded family as well. But the kind of family I want to build, you know, it's, it's necessarily very, very feminist family. Mm -hmm. If you understand what I mean, (laughs) like my husband needs to be extremely feminist and feminist Mm -hmm. is such a, you know, it's got, it's, tagged with so much negativity so let me just define it for you what I really mean it's about equal opportunities and resources Mm -hmm. it's about filling in filling in for each other 
when required, not because, you know, I really am not into this gender specific roles or gender Mm -hmm. um gender specified um duties in that sense just as i really really want to be involved in the finances of my family and contribute in that sense whether it's bills whether it's car or or a house because i feel very odd not being able to do that Mm. and i feel very disempowered you know I've, i've been told by a lot of women you know just chill just relax once you have a husband it's his duty to provide you i do understand that aspect but I find it very disempowering if I cannot do it, okay. if I cannot do, you know, contribute to that. And in that similar way, I have an, you know, an expectation that my partner, who's going to be raising my family, gives that much effort and time to mm-hmm. children, to the family, to the household duties, because that person lives in the house as well or is going to live in the house as well. So mm-hmm. that kind of idea doesn't seem to be extremely popular yet. Like Mm. my generation of women want it, but I'm not sure how the older generation takes that. They think that this is not a sustainable model Mm. and it's going to, you know, um, it's going to create problems in the family. But I think, I think um, family comes along with mindset. Mm -hmm, So I really need someone with a very empowering and empowered mindset you know, mm-hmm. and where the partners embolden each other. So this is not like a romantic story or anything. This is really very <laughs> important for someone, yes. like, you know, for women who are up here in our, um, in our careers at this stage. Like, you must have heard about the leaky pipeline where women mm-hmm. in middle management start, you know, dropping out of the workforce because of family responsibilities yes. where yes. they cannot manage and they say, okay, not going to go to work just going to come back and um Mm -hmm. raise my family so society is changing like workplaces are changing like where i'm working right now they're extremely flexible you know they say that you know sometimes if you need to work from home you can if you have lectures and meetings come for that the rest of the time if you don't need to be in the office space you don't need to be in the office space which i think gives a lot of flexibility especially for those um those lecturers who are married or have children and have that kind of commitment. So I really think workplaces, family, everything has a, has their part to play to enable a woman to be empowered. I'm going to throw this one at you. So do you think that uh, based on what you said, do Mm -hmm. you think that uh, a potential partner or men, generally speaking, do you Mm -hmm. think they, when seeking a spouse, do you think they should also have that expectation that their potential wife is going to be someone that has the capacity to contribute to the the household financially? Or, mm-hmm. or do you think that um, the man should be able to hold his own and then if the woman is in a position to add value in that way, it should be just a plus? Right. I really think this is not, um, I mean, I think that's above my pay grade to really, <laughs> no, because to, if for me to just make a comment on men mm-hmm. in general, right, on right, it's really right. hard mm-hmm. because this is something that is cultural. Yes. In a lot of cultures and even, even religiously, there's, you know, it says men, you know, should be the provider of the house and uh, uh-huh. something like that where, and I think there's nothing wrong if, if, 
that's why I mean, that's why I say feminism is about opportunities and resources mm-hmm. yes. and choice and choice. Yes, choice. So if the a important woman thing, right? exactly come together and the woman says, I want to be a housewife and this is going to be my role and this is going to be my duty. Whereas you're going to be the one providing, and this is all these X, Y, Z things that you want to do. It's about the mindset of both partners coming together mm-hmm. and coming to an agreement. Mm-hmm. As now, to what works for them and not right. necessarily the mold of what society says should work for them. Yes. Not what their families or parents think the right way is, not what society thinks the right way is, what they both think the right way is because they're going to be living together with each other. Mm-hmm. They're going to be building the family. <laughs> their happiness, sadness, everything is going to be between them and they need to be the one handling the problems. Mm-hmm. So they need to come to an agreement. And if yes. there's someone who's really happy with that arrangement, I think we should respect that. In the name of feminism, I think we've also deprived women the opportunity to choose. So yes. an empowered woman has to be working. Yes. You have to work. There is a brand. Right. Right. And then have kids. Uh-huh. And then, you know, it's, you have to be you, you have to be pursuing it all, not really. And exactly. then there is almost this pressure where if a woman decides that okay, I really want to manage my family, and um, can I be a feminist if I want to stay home and manage my family? Uh, there are people that literally feel that way, and there's almost a kind of a shame behind wanting to be a stay-at-home mother. And mm-hmm. I think that's kind of problematic because the women are dynamic. There is no one size fits all. Absolutely. And and so I love when you say having the choice, that's the core principle, having the choice to choose whatever role I want to choose. I think that's, that's the heart of what feminism is and not being forced to conform to whatever society has said uh, should be the road I lead or the journey I lead. So, wow, I'm so happy that we're having our conversation <laughs> went down this road because I know that a lot of my listeners are people who are in this space uh, yeah. on the cusp of uh, settling down, uh, figuring out this dating life thing. Yeah. As a matter of fact, one of my very close friends when I was you know, doing the research leading up to uh, what would be the angle of my podcast? She specifically asked <laughs> for a conversation yeah. around this, and I'm I'm so happy that we've been able to speak, especially as a, a an Asian woman. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, this has this is awesome. I'd say that you're an overachiever. I mean, how many people who are still <laughs> in their twenties can boast having a PhD, and not only having a PhD, you are lecturing uh, students in a very what I think is complex. <laughs> so <laughs> I'd say you're an overachiever. So what I want you to talk about now is the the mindset that you have um, as an overachiever, but also as someone who has put herself out there to lead and to publicly speak about things like feminism and to you know, be representative of what it means to be a woman in leadership. What's your mindset around that? What do you have to tell yourself daily? Or what was the conversation you had with yourself that even led to you feeling as though you were qualified or competent to be a leader? Right. So, you know, in terms of mindset, um, from a very young age, I would, again, give all credit to my mother. She always, she always encouraged me to raise my hand and ask the question if there is a uh, position open for class monitor. And I was like, yeah, I was just sitting down. She was like, why were you just sitting down? 
you know, you should have raised your hand and you should have said that you want to be the class monitor. And I said, what if people don't like me? She's like, well, you will find out only when you try. So that kind of attitude has always been there. So always on my report card, I'll have teachers saying, um, Maisha is a brilliant student. She's a very bright girl, but she needs to talk less and disturb her classmates mm. less. You know, I've always <laughs> been very open and interactive. And um, my mother never scolded me for that. She never scolded <laughs> me for talking too much or she never scolded me for, um, you know, disturbing. <laughs> I, I think she should have, but I never got scolded <laughs> for disturbing my classmates in that sense. I've always grown up to be very outspoken, very confident. And at any time, if I have self-doubt, I just always go back to her. And I said, I think mm-hmm. I can't do this. I don't know if I can do this. You know, maybe I shouldn't do this. And a lot of people tell me that, you know, you look like you have it all um, together and you're so confident and you're, you know, you're smiling and you're so happy. And it seems like, you know, you, you, you know, you're amazing and all of that. So as much as nice as it is to like, to hear that, I have to say that you have to look deeper into it. Every other person has that kind of fear or, you know, that kind of insecurity where maybe I can't do this. Can I lead? Can I really mm-hmm. do this? So yes. my mindset is less of me talking to myself. And I have like a group of very tight knit, positive energy around me. Yes. And yes. I always rely on that. So before I'm giving a presentation, you know, before I'm making some kind of like application to a post, I always do a prayer. But at the same time, (laughs) I go back to these people, you know, I Mm -hmm. I don't want to name all of them for privacy purposes. I go to them and I say, um, I always say, maybe I shouldn't. You know, because I know for a fact that they're going to just stare at me in the face and say, what do you mean you shouldn't? And they'll give me seven reasons on why I should. So, of course... I have a lot of um, confidence in myself and I'm very, very, you know, I'm very open about it, that I think I can do it and I know I can do it. If it's challenging, I will do it. Like not to worry because God never gives you any challenge that you cannot handle. And Mm -hmm. that's something that I, you know, hold very close. But times when I feel like maybe I really can't or I can't do this anymore. I don't know if I, you know, if I should be in this position or I don't know how I got this position. Sometimes you have this like imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. where you don't know why you're here. Yeah. I just go back to my positive energy and just, you know, bounce off that and, and say, what do you think? What do you think? Mm-hmm. And I've all that, that has never failed me so far. So mm-hmm. it's not a lot of people. It's a few group, you know, a few people who've been very supportive. Mm-hmm. And I think women especially need that kind of support group from other women and men that, you know, con- continuously pump them up. So I've got amazing girlfriends who just keep texting me things like, you're awesome. You're the boss yes. lady. You're the best. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, you too. So it, it, it was like a very trivial thing, but it, it's just like how you look in the mirror and say, you know, I am amazing or I'm mm-hmm. beautiful or I'm whatever. Having this kind of energy around you is really important. Yes. So I would tell people to get that kind of support group that would always, always push you for the better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, People, what did I tell you about this woman? (laughs) (laughs) I feel so inspired and ready to go. I always tell people, if you do not want me to do something, do not gas me up because all I need is one person to gas me up (laughs) and Mm -hmm. I'm ready to go. (laughs) Right. So as we're about to close, I want to ask you two things. Yes. Uh, Is there anything, any inspirational book or 
uh, any writing that inspires you or has helped you in some way. And my last question to you is what keeps you driven? You've alluded to some of what keeps you going, but if there is a story that comes to mind or an experience uh, that keeps you going, that keeps you driven, I'd love for you to share that as we're about to close. All right. So I like how you say as you're about to close, it's like a hint, keep it short. I, am, I promise <laughs> to do that. So um, books are what, I've, what I love reading. So, okay, I have to be honest. I read so much of those, you know, scientific mm, oh articles dear. and you journals. You can't bother I'm, with reading I'm, anything else, right? No, oh. I do. I do read. I read like I read love stories and those kind of romantic oh novels. Oh my god! Okay, is... I didn't expect to hear that. <laughs> no, I'm nobody expects to hear that. <laughs> nobody expects to hear that from me because it sounds so frivolous. But it's what? something that really, if you if you try to find the reason behind it, it's because it gives me that window of imagination. Mm-hmm, Let mm-hmm. me use the other side of my brain, whether yes. it's vampires or werewolves. Those are yes. my favorite, and it, I know it doesn't go with my image of Doctor Maisha, but <laughs> yes. I don't care. That is something that really really gives you that kind of color and the kind of, mm-hmm. um, you know, imaginative kind of spirit that really excites me. So I'm going to just leave it at that before mm-hmm. people start turning <laughs> off. Your- <laughs> but, you know, more than that, like things that inspire me is, you know, conversation with people. Yes. There is so much that happens. You, you think someone's inspiring and then talk to the person on your left and you, you hear like so much more about their story and so much they've gone through. You would think that you've gone through so much, but you talk to you know, a friend or a colleague and mm-hmm. they have a whole history oh, yes. of things going on in their lives yes. and how they overcome it. So for me, like my inspiration is always from people's stories. So, you mm-hmm. know, I love talking and I always yes. have, you know, within like, even if I'm meeting a stranger within my friends ask me, how do you know all this? You know, how do, why is it that people always tell you, um, things so quickly and I think it's because of that kind of positive energy that we exchange with people we just share our stories with one another and that's something that I always draw from and draw energy from and I know that you know they've got gone through this like wow my my problem is not even close to it so I think um I think I'm a very people person so that's what you know that's where I get my inspiration from Mm -hmm. so what keeps me driven if I can give you just one story um when I was 11, so I went back to Bangladesh to visit my grandmother. And um, there was another 11-year-old girl who was staying with us at that time. She was the daughter of our domestic helper. So mm-hmm. we, you know, there you have like domestic helpers who live in with you. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they have, she had her daughter. And I was, I was just playing with her throughout the whole afternoon. And as soon as, you know, sun was setting, we just had to run back home. I, I went over to my mother so that I could do my homework, which I absolutely did not like at that point of time. <laughs> and whereas she, her mother called her to knead the dough for mm. breakfast the next day. Yeah. And yeah. It, I mean, that didn't impact me at all. I really thought she had a better life kneading dough than like having to do <laughs> math. But much later, maybe in my 19, you know, 20, when I was 20, like I think back about this, this right. kind of experience wow. that I had, because she was my really good friend at that yeah. time. Yeah. Um, it's not necessarily that I'm an overachiever and that this is something that really keeps me grounded, I would say, and very Mm -hmm. humbled because um, it is not because I'm so talented and I'm so brilliant that I am where I am today. I really think it's because the opportunities that were given to me, all I did was use the opportunity correctly. 
Yes. All I did was use my resources. My parents gave mm-hmm. me everything, whether it's tuition, whether it's enrichment classes. They tried piano class and dance class. They tried everything yeah. with me to give me a holistic um, education and growth. And I took that to my advantage. Yes. And I just literally used it. So in terms of difficulty, I would say there was very little, except mm-hmm. for exams, there were very difficult, yeah. uh, very little difficulty in my life. Whereas someone like her, what if you put that girl in my position and mm-hmm. she, she could have been a doctor, lawyer, um, firefighter, entrepreneur, anything she wanted to be. But I, I heard that she got married off as a teenager and had children. Mm-hmm. So that was her life, not because she wasn't smart. We played together. We, I don't think there was anything wrong, uh, lacking in her intelligence. Yeah. But it's just the life that you are being given. Some, that, that's why when I hear people go through all of this and then get a PhD and go through all of these struggles and then have a master's, fund their own education, work double shift to support the education, yeah. those people are really who inspire me. Mm-hmm. I have to do none of that. My father paid for my tuition fees and everything, you know. So when I look back at, at you know, stories like these, and I know that someone who just looked like me and spoke the same language has a completely different life, I am extremely humbled. And I'm extremely grateful because yeah. yeah. I know that it's not just because I am very clever or I'm very hardworking. It's also coupled with the fact that things have been given to me so easily, which is why I, you know, try my best now to do this kind of advocacy work and the kind of work that I'm doing to try and ensure that other people get the opportunity and resources as well so wow. that they can shine their brightest. So oh, I'm yes. doing my little bit. <gasps> <again>. <laughs> Girl, Maisha, I am. Oh, I feel so pumped up. Uh, we're from different worlds, but mm-hmm. I feel like we speak the same language. Recognizing mm-hmm. that you have a duty, it's not because you really want it, but it's this internal pressure that you have to to really do your part in making the world a better place. And oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so the much. world a better place but the world around me maybe yes yes, yes exactly <laughs> so thank you so much for joining me i'm so excited about sharing this interview oh, oh. Yes, i'm so excited too i know thank I you mean, for having me yes you are so welcome and wow keep going keep going my sister thank you. You too. You Thank too. you. Thank you very much. And I look forward to even greater things from you. And hopefully we can catch up soon. Maybe definitely. Knows, maybe I end up in the UK next year or something like that. You know? Yep. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> we'll see. All right. Take care. Um, All right. Take care. Bye bye. Bye. It was my absolute pleasure to have you join us for this episode of the Driven Woman podcast. Be sure to visit sophiabryan.com for my complimentary platform masterclass. In this masterclass, I show you the key steps to strategically share your unique message, even if you're scared to put yourself out there. Leave us a rating on iTunes if you loved this episode. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Driven Woman Podcast and Driven Woman Show on Twitter. Until next time, stay driven.